the Everyday Pastors Podcast. My name is Buck Webb. I'll be your host as we have conversations with pastors across the country who are in local settings, who are dealing with and walking through um, and leading the church in their communities. Um, and w- one of the privileges I get to have is I get to have these conversations with pastors um, at wherever I, I go and get to talk with them. And whether it's over coffee or at lunch, there's a lot of times where it's just like, I mean, this is a great conversation. I'd love to have this in a broader audience, or I'd love for other people to get to be a part of that. Um, and so in it, that's one of our hopes is that we get to bring you some conversations with pastors who are maybe don't have a national platform, uh, maybe aren't the biggest names, uh, but definitely have um, a great voice and, and, and a conversation that will be helpful to you and your ministry. Um, and if nothing else, to help you feel like, hey, I'm not alone in this. Uh, there's other people out there that are wrestling with and struggling with um, all the same things. Um, in that, we're not going to necessarily give you all the answers, uh, but we do hope to talk through how we're wrestling with and dealing with the questions of our day, specifically in our local context. So I hope you find it helpful. Um, here's John Thorngate um, from Burlington, Wisconsin at LifeBridge Church. Um, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. John Thorngate, hey man, welcome to the Everyday Pastors podcast. Um, good to have you on today. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Hey, so just for kind of real quick, you and I have gone back a little while now, um, mm-hmm. but uh, nobody else really knows you. So give us a little bit of uh, background on on you and tell us about yourself. Well, you said nobody knows me, but I actually have 27 Twitter followers. So <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> I planted a church in Burlington, Wisconsin called LifeBridge Church with a team. I didn't plant it by myself, but there was a team of us. And that was seven years ago now. And uh, before that, I was in youth ministry, which is where we connected initially. And, um, but I've been in Burlington, Wisconsin, which is my hometown in the in, uh, Southeastern Wisconsin, kind of a small, I call it a sub suburban town, um, of, uh, of a little over 10,000 people and, um, planted a church here seven years ago, uh, with a co-pastor. So I was, uh, my title is administrative pastor. A lot of people call it executive pastor. It's very similar, um, and uh, I co I co planted with a with a lead or with a, a teaching pastor, and um, and so we're kind of co lead pastors, and we had a team of sixteen, and and that was sort of how we got started in Burlington, and we've been here for seven years. Sweet, yeah. So we yeah we knew each other back in I was in Lake Geneva, you were at a church in Lake Geneva, which is just right. down the road from from Burlington, and so we collaborated on some stuff, um, and and we've been you know we, we got to be good friends um, during that time. I know I, I consider us to be good friends and hopefully, Likewise, hopefully you would change ex- <laughs> uh, Agree with that. Um, but in that, so tell me like church size, denomination, like where you guys are at now, like what things are looking like. Yeah. So we're, we're non-denominational. Uh, I grew up non-denominational and uh, we planted the same. Um, and so we, like I said, we planted seven years ago. Our church right now, I don't, I, I mean, it's a difficult time to even really gauge how big our church is. Sure. Yeah. Um, I don't, I would say we're probably in the 200 range. Okay. Um, prior to COVID, we were, we were approaching 400. Um, and so there's, there's a, quite a few reasons, obviously, why we're, we're a good bit smaller than we were a couple of years ago. And I'm sure we'll get into those, but yeah, so that's where we're at right now. Yeah. Obviously, I guess that's one of those questions that like every, every, I think everybody listening would say like, Oh, right. Yeah. There's this like, Hey, here's kind of who we think we used to be. And then here's right. this, like, who knows who we actually are right now. And, um, it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. Tell me about Burlington. What's Burlington. So it's a smaller town. Like, I don't know. How'd you yeah. say it as a suburban urban? what did you call it? Suburban? Well, it's sub suburban. It's not quite suburban, yeah. but it's not quite rural. It's kind of in between. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about your town and what you feel like is kind of unique about your context. Yeah, man. I think we, we, um, so I was born here. I grew up here and it's, it was a very heavily Catholic town. Um, and, uh, there's never been like a really in terms of numbers size, uh, large evangelical church in Burlington. Um, and I think within, within a couple years of planting, we were probably, we, we were probably the biggest pretty quickly. Um, and, uh, but I don't think that, I don't even know if that's true today, but but yeah, so the landscape there was was pretty minimal and pretty pretty interesting to walk into. Um, it's got it's got some interesting kind of very like it's kind of an artsy town for a small town. It's very artsy. There's cool shops and some and some cool things happening and good kind of uh, forward thinking energy. Um, 
you know, you got your breweries and your coffee shops and things like that. So it's a great spot in that sense, but there is a lot of kind of classic small town dynamic as well of a reluctance to change and, um, and uh, it's sort of a, a casual mistrust of outsiders and some of those things as well. So we've got some of the classic small town stuff and then, and then some, uh, some stuff that that's um, kind of unique to our town as well. Gotcha. And so you guys planted a few years ago, tell me, um, how would you describe your, the, like the, the style of church you are or how you guys kind of approach ministry or like kind of help, help people get a sense of what that looks like for LifeBridge? Yeah. So we are, um, I mean, so we're, we're evangelical in, in, in a lot of ways. We're, we're kind of like along the lines of what, you know, evangelical orthodoxy, biblical authority, um, contemporary worship, you know, a lot of that stuff. Uh, we are definitely, we call it low production on purpose. We don't, um, we don't invest a lot into Sunday morning production. That's one of our things that, um, that I think we do, we do sometimes stand out from other churches that on paper in a lot of other ways are very much like ours in terms of what we believe. Um, that's one way that we are a little bit different. Um, so if you come into our, if, if you come into our church, it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a different experience in that way. It's not like a, like a super like liturgical feel or anything like that. It's still very much like a contemporary service with a, with a 30 ish minute message and, and um, some, some worship time with a lot of like, you know, same, you know, Hillsong and some of the songs everybody else is doing. But, um, but we're low production on purpose and and we do really like that. And uh, we, we try to really value authenticity. And we don't, like we would never have, you know, like a, a guest experience team or any of that stuff. We, we, we don't put a really high, um, we don't really value like first impressions. We want to, we want to, we want to, um, we want to connect with people over time and in a relationship. And so we don't, we don't feel like we, we, our church is going to live or die by the, by the visitor's first impression of our church. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so I hope then, that I, I mean, I can, I can no, respond no, to that. Yep. If, no, totally. Yeah. And we might even get into the, to the, to the, the first impressions things in a minute, but yeah. um, you hit on it a minute ago. Um, so 2020 was a year. Um, mm-hmm. It was, it was a little unique. Um, I think everybody's, mm-hmm. I, I still, I would still say we still don't know what we learned from 2020 in a lot of ways. And I think there's still probably a lot of debriefing that um, can continue to go on in our churches and, you know, even in our own hearts and minds and stuff. But how do you feel like that 2020, what, what do you feel like you've, you've either learned out of that or how that's shaping, how you look at the next season of ministry? Um, yeah. Tell me some thoughts out of that. I think the biggest thing for us is that I think we saw what we had done, which we, I think a lot of our strategy when we started was very much in line with like what I would consider church growth models, right? We're trying to trying to get people in and then get them into groups and get them connected pretty quickly, get them serving. Um, and, but along with that, there's some of the same things that you, that in the growth model, you tend to avoid of, of maybe some of the harder conversations, some of the harder topics that, that, you know, it, you might, people might say in the meeting that that's like, it's a distraction from where we're trying to go. Right. So why would we, why would we go there? Yep. And I think what, what the pandemic showed us, myself and my, my co-pastor was that we just, we were not going to be that church. It just does not fit our DNA to try to like keep as many people happy as possible and get through that time. We were, we were way more on the side of like, Hey, we need to talk about this stuff. We need to pick these battles, have these conversations and, and make people mad if that's what needs to happen. Um, but I think we just realized how much, how much, how much um, we realized how many ideas and, and thoughts and things that really aren't biblical that we were just kind of letting lie and leaving alone and not addressing head on. And um, I think in a lot of cases, it's very well intentioned to not address those things, to not talk about politics, to not talk about, I don't know, race, justice, whatever it is. And then in the last year, it's the other one is obviously response to COVID and what's the right way to do that. We were not like the, everybody's right. You know, whatever works for you. We were kind of like, no, this is how we think, you know, Christians should be responding to this. And not everyone in our church. Go ahead. Was that on Sunday mornings or was that like, during the week or how did, like, how did you guys address, like, were you getting up in the pulpit and talking about, you know, during the George Floyd stuff, talking about how you felt about that or what, what did that look like for you guys? Yeah. So in the pulpit, um, in the pulpit to some degree, 
after um, after George Floyd was killed, we we made a special video. It was about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. We were just trying to help our people process through. Basically, we were trying to get people to, like to not um, like just ideally like think before you post on Facebook right now, and trying to help people understand and empathize and just trying to help people walk through it a little bit. Um, and that was something that people we were getting text messages. People were asking us to do that. Mm. Um, and so that we we did that. And then of course we had people who would wish we didn't do that and all of that normal church stuff that 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 we navigate in our um context. So right. So you mean you didn't get like like everybody and just like, oh, you guys are handling this perfectly and like everything's fine, you guys are great. You you didn't get that? No, I've I haven't gotten that uh I haven't gotten that in a while. And certainly <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a while since uh since we've had that. I think a lot of people understand how how difficult um, the last year and change has been. They understand that there there is no way to keep everybody happy. I think they get that in principle. Um, but ultimately, yeah, when it comes to when it comes to the harder conversations, I think the majority of people in churches like ours would just prefer that you leave that stuff alone, right? Um, because they just don't want to. In a lot of cases, they don't want to wrestle with it, or they don't want to like you. You know, we're we're going to make people mad. And the classic line is like, hey, we're causing division, right? Um, and if this was led by the Holy Spirit, it would be unifying. And uh, that is just not how we well, how we see that at all. Right. You want to be divisive is what you're saying. I get it. I hear you. I hear yeah, you. we do. We, we desire to be divisive. No, but, but you know, we, we, we think in a lot, of, a lot of times, as sad as it is to say, I, I take no pleasure in saying this because I love the church that we're a part of. Sometimes we're unified around the wrong things. Mm, and so... Yeah. And so staying unified around the wrong things is not so, um, what God would have us do. Yeah. So in that, what did you, like, what was kind of your, cause I think, again, I think pastors everywhere were trying to figure out how to do that. And even, yeah. even some that would have said like, Hey, we're not going to talk about that. Cause we're trying not to be divisive. They're still mm-hmm. going to get it from their people for the not talking about it too. For you totally. guys, what was like the guy, like, what was, where did you guys find that? Like, Hey, this is what we're going to try. Cause you're trying to be consistent. You're trying to say like, Hey, this is like, where did you find consistency in that? Or what did you say? Like, Hey, this Mm -hmm. is what's going to kind of guide our conversations or how we approach the pulpit in this time. Yeah. I think, so one of the things we we did that's been, what's been really helpful is we've taken a lot of the conversations out of the pulpit and and we have a podcast that we put out now where basically what the the main reason we do that is because we don't want to be a church that doesn't address what's happening in the world. Like, I mean, I think a lot of us have been to church where something's going on in the world and then you go to church and it's like they live in a cave. You're like, right. how are we not even totally. addressing this at all, right? But on the other hand, like we we want to be able to come together on Sunday mornings and turn our focus towards God and glorify God and worship God and not have to always be beholden to current events in that space. And so we decided we were going to start recording a podcast and get into a pretty regular cadence with that um, so that we could have, so that we could address those things. And, um, and the people from our church and it's not, we're not trying to grow the podcast. We are literally just recording it for the people from our church and sending it out and saying, Hey guys, we, you know, we just recorded an episode on, um, on this political thing or on on what's going on in the world. Um, and it's not that we think we have like uniquely amazing thoughts, but people do want to hear what their pastors think. Yeah. Um, and so, and so we are trying to give them the opportunity to do that and to help them process through those things without becoming so beholden on Sunday mornings to what's happening in the world all the time. So that's been a good, happy medium for us. The other thing I would say is there, you can always, I mean, you can't be perfectly consistent. Right. Mm. And so there is a lot of, I think for pastors and I've been there and we've had these conversations where you, you feel like you're frozen in time. Cause you say like, if I talk about this, then people are going to say, well, why didn't you talk about this? Or if I talk about this, you, right. if I don't talk about this, you know, you, you cannot win. Right. Right. And so ultimately, um, Ultimately, we we do our best to be consistent. We we try to talk about the things that are happening and the things that that reflect our beliefs or don't reflect our beliefs in the way of Jesus. We try to do that consistently. But one of the things we we explain to people is um, about how we how we talk on our podcast is we are talking to our church. We are th- this is addressing the church in the same way that Paul's letters addressed churches. He, I mean, Paul might have written That's other good. letters that that we lost, that we lost in the shuffle, but he wasn't writing letters to the church saying, Hey, watch out for them in quotes, right? It's like the classic us versus them (laughs) conversation. It's, it's critiquing and rebuking and correcting us. Right. And so the majority of what we're going to do 
both in the pulpit and and um, on other, whatever other platforms we have, is we're going to talk about the church because we think that we always say, um, and actually I think there's a David French article that he uses the same language, but I. I think we started saying it at church first. I'm not trying to take credit for it, but I also don't want to steal it from him. So in case he said it first, he also had this in one of his articles recently. But we we will talk about the the idea that the call is coming from inside the house. You know, like the, yeah. the in, in movies, you know, they, they find out that the bad guy's inside the house. And in terms of what's happening to the church in America, we think that the primary threats are inside the church, not outside the church. It's not to say that there aren't problems outside the church. It's not to say that there aren't external threats, so to speak. But, but the thing that's going to keep my, the, the most likely thing that's going to have my kids someday reject the church and become atheists or whatever is probably going to be something I do, not yeah. something that happens, you know, in a university or somewhere else. And so based on, based on that, we, we address us a lot more than we address them. We talk about other things too, of course. We talk about, um, we talk about abortion. We talk about um, upholding a traditional biblical sexual ethic, these things that matter to us. Right. But at the end of the day, if, if someone comes into our church and they leave feeling uncomfortable after what they heard, I would rather that be a church person, you know? And that's one of the things I always worry about in, in spaces where there's a, a big emphasis on making people feel welcome and comfortable. And um, that's a really good thing. But I think down the line, down the line, 10 years, are we not just making church people feel really comfortable, mm. you know? You know, we, whatever, uh, the joke I always make is, um, we got the latte machine for, we got the latte machine for the visitors, but guess who else really likes lattes? All of us. Right. And so it's that same thing in terms of the ideas that we talk about. I think in a lot of cases, people who've been in church for years and years and years, they don't want to feel uncomfortable in their seat either. Um, but sometimes they're supposed to. Yeah, no, that's good. So just, I'll, I'll ask the, the logistical side of my brain is, is pinging in terms of. So when you start a podcast and again, cause you have to measure everything. Cause that's what we do in church world. Like right. you, your metrics on that are, are people, I'm guessing are, are people engaging from our congregation, not trying to grow mm-hmm. it. So how, like, have you seen feedback from that? Do you get like, like, do you ask them to respond? Like, how do you, how do you know if people are actually listening to the podcast or then just looking at the numbers or like, what is that? Yeah. We, we know that people listen to the podcast because after we release an episode, we'll get a, a combination of, um, some really solid feedback and some, and some really negative feedback. Um, now obviously we have like the literal metrics we can look at too, sure. this downloads and all that stuff. And those aren't very high and we don't suspect they will be. I mean, we, we don't, we, the way we promote a new episode is we literally send like an internal text to people in our database. That's all we do. So it's, it's, we're not even trying to get other people to listen to it necessarily, but, um, but people are listening to it. And for people who are really trying to wrestle through and say, Hey, I want to, I want to um, engage with culture and in a way that I believe is inside God's will. And that might not look like cleanly aligned with the left or the right, or it might not look cleanly aligned with this denomination or whatever. I want to really wrestle and think through this stuff. I think they find it helpful. And so most of the feedback has been really good, but we've had all, you know, We've had sure. people leave well and, 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 uh, and have negative feedback, but you're always going to have that. Well, and I think anytime, again, in the church world, our, our default is we're just going to talk about that. And so it's really easy right. for people to be like, oh, my pastor thinks just like I do all the time. And then for right. you guys to actually say like, hey, no, here's what we think is biblical on these issues creates right. that friction and tension. And you're going to get people that might've stayed otherwise, but it's really just because they didn't, they thought you thought just like them. Um, right. Totally. hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's really healthy. Um, so then in that, what, what questions do you like, what questions are you guys asking about as you think about the future, um, in your context, um, you know, again, maybe questions that you don't even have answers to. What, what are some of the questions that you're kind of trying to wrestle through and think about, um, as you look at the future of your church? Yeah, I think we, I think one of the questions we're wrestling a lot with right now is coming out of COVID. How do we reignite a sense of mission in our people and in our, even in our in ourselves, right? It has not been um, like it's 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 this it's this muscle that has atrophied over the last couple of years. Um, and so I, we need a little bit of a of a reignition there of saying because when our our church started, one of the first things we did is we said we want to build trust in our community, and we did that. Um, at that time, we, we did, all we had was like sweat. We had no money. We had, we had really nothing else to offer. We didn't have a building, but we would, we would host events. We would, you know, 
hold free events for kids. We would, you know, charity events, raise money for, for ministry partners and, and that sort of stuff. And over time, the, you know, people in our community and the city who we had to pull permits with every time and all these different people started, started to learn, oh, these guys, these guys care about the city and they can be trusted. Mm-hmm. Um, they have, they don't really have an ulterior motive besides, um, besides caring for people. Yes, they're Christians, but, um, but we trust them. Right. And it's not like we've, it's not like that we've lost that trust, but we've, you know, it, 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 like any relationship without some maintenance and some touch points, which we've had very few um, because, you know, our instinct is when there's a crisis, we want to like go and be in the middle of it. That's kind of the heart of our church. And with, with social distancing, that's not, that's not what you're supposed yeah. to do. Right. So right. Yeah. we've definitely like, I think in that, in that sense, we've experienced a little bit of an identity crisis in the last 18 months or however long it's been, but needing to reignite and find that sense of mission again um, and doing it a, a sort of around different things because we, we're a, we are a fundamentally different church than we were three years ago. Um, and so a lot of things have changed in terms of, in terms of what we're pursuing and, and what we want, what we want a visitor to experience and some of those things. It's not the same as it used to be. Um, and our end goal is different too. I don't, I, we've got, a, we've got a space where we can do, we could probably get to 500 to two services. Um, and we were before COVID, we were saying, we're not going to be here much longer. And now we're kind of more like, I, if we keep talking about the stuff that we're talking about, I'm not sure we'll ever uh, outgrow this space. Right. Right. And so that's been a big, that's been a big shift too in our kind of in our, our strategy. So in that, why, like, so someone just say, so stop talking about that stuff. Right. Why not? I think, I think we were, um, I think both myself and my co-pastor, his name's also John. Uh, we saw through through COVID, what we already sort of knew, but we just saw it blown up to like to the to the nth degree, which is that we are not discipling these people nearly as much as these other forces are discipling them. Their political ideology, their their media inputs, these things are really truly the things that are discipling these people. And for to a large degree, a lot of the people who are here on Sundays aren't really here to be discipled, mm. you know, and so. Um, and we want, again, we, we want to give people grace and time to take small steps and, and find community and then grow over time. We don't want to lose that heart at all, but we were seeing over and over that, that, um, we just, we did not have the discipling role in a lot of these people's lives that we thought we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and we knew that cause we would hear people say things like, I thought you were a great Bible teacher, but then I heard what you said about, X, the, the pandemic, you know? Right. And, and so pe- people don't in their head say, I trust my pastor. I should trust him on the pandemic. They say, if my pastor disagrees with me on the pandemic, then maybe he's a bad pastor. Right. Right. And so we were seeing like, okay, avoiding these conversations, um, it will get more people in here. We will eventually need a new building, but like, but, but we're not actually making disciples if that's what we continue to do. And so um, and one of the things I remember saying when we, when we did, made the decision to shut, shut the, close the doors, lock the doors of the building and say, we're moving online for the time being. We did that. We got a lot of heat for that. We did it before most churches did it, but then everybody did it, um, at least initially. But one of the things I remember seeing in a meeting and saying, for a lot of the people in this church, the first time we ever exercised any real authority in their lives is when we locked the front door. And they responded like somebody would respond when somebody they don't see as an authority figure um, exercises the authority over them, mm. they respond with anger. They respond, they push back. Right. Um, and now we're really young. And, and so there's, there's a lot of dynamics to play there, but, but I think what we ultimately realized was like, look, we, we want to disciple people for real. And um, I love having a full, I love having a full room on Sunday morning as much as the next guy. I lead worship. I love having people sing loud. I love being able, my favorite thing on a Sunday morning is to be able to like back off the mic and just people sing and I don't have to sing. That's my favorite, right? We're not, we don't have as much of that as we used to. And I miss it, but we, we weren't discipling people the way we should have been. And so, and honestly what happened for us is we, we hit a point where like conflict to some degree, I think not that we had been actively avoiding it, 
but we weren't like, we weren't going into it full steam certainly. And so one's like, Oh, that's kind of a, that's sort of a, a, a rough idea that you think is true, but I'm not going to touch that because it's not the gospel. Right. And so we can, you know, we can, we can just focus on what we agree upon. Um, but we, we coming through the pandemic and just ha- being forced, being forced to make decisions that people hated. Right. Um, yeah. And experiencing that for the first time as young pastors. And then like coming out of that with sort of a, a sort of a, a little bit of a, of a, of a shift in our own identities and who we are as, as, as children of God and as pastors and just saying like, look, this is what it is now. Like we're, we're in this moment where a lot of people really dislike the decisions we've been making. And um, we don't feel like the moment's over yet. We feel like we've got more to say. And honestly, more people who are probably going to take off. Mm. um, We feel like that's the moment we're in. And and we do feel like um, we do feel like as we're doing that, that it's what God has for us to do, to be honest with you. Oh, that's, that's, I'm sure that's a hard call to make. Um, in that, tell me like, so, so in that, like, and in some of that, you think you alluded to a little bit, but like, what do you like, so what do you see as, and you talked about this earlier, um, what do you see as the biggest threat to the church? You know, yeah. um, you talked about that being internal versus external and, and all that, like, what do you, like, as you're looking at it, you're asking those questions about your, you know, your church and, and that kind of stuff. What do you see as the things that are, are, you know, and you can take that, term threat, however you want to. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, um, I think people in a lot of churches like ours in America have been taught for a while, maybe not directly, but, but they've inferred and sort of the way they've been discipled collectively is that you can have the American dream and still go to heaven. Right. That's mm-hmm. the basic, I think that's the basic message that a lot of people have internalized and are now basically insistent on having out of their church experience. Not only do they want their church to, to allow them to believe that, but they want their church to contribute to their American dream, which is like friends for my kids, um, like structures that, uh, that contribute to that. Right. Um, and I don't see that in the words of Jesus. I don't see that in the gospels. And I think my, I think one of the reasons that we've got so much, there's so much in, you know, everyone talks about how like polarized politics is and whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's true, of course. But I think a lot of it comes back to this idea that in, in the evangelical church, because we've been so focused on growth, because we've been so focused on numbers, um, we have not, we have not pushed back on the American dream at all in a lot of cases. And when we don't push back on the American dream, not only are we feeling to disciple people, but we're going to have a next generation come around and their American dream is going to be different. And they have been basically raised to say that they can have their American dream. Their American dream might, you know, whereas if my American dream is basically it's, 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 it's the, it's adjacent to the way of Jesus. It's pretty close, right? I'm like 80% of the way there. But ultimately at the end of the day, I basically did say, okay, God, come along with me as I, as I plan for my retirement and, mm. and for comfort in my own life. And I don't really live sacrificially. Yes, I give, but, um, but not to the point that it really hurts. Yes, I serve, but not to the point that it really hurts, right? If I model that for my kids, they grow up and maybe their, maybe their version of the American dream is to like be, be uh, like gender non-binary. Right? Maybe that's their American dream. And I've modeled for them that they deserve to have it. Right. Um, and so I, I think that thing, um, with the American dream, whatever you want to call it, um, everyone's basic resting assumption that they're supposed to have what they want to have is, is baked into the culture of churches like mine. And, um, it's a, it's very difficult to push back against, um, in, in a way where you see a lot of fruit. Right. Cause, and I think the, the hard part of that is just people just leave then. Like if you're yeah, not, if you're not providing the service that they want, right. Then it's like, Oh, I'll go down to the church down the street or find another place. And right. Yeah. I, I mean, I said to someone the other day, they said like, you know, I wonder when people are going to start coming back to church, you know, you know, it was someone who works at a bigger church. And I said about the same time they go start going back to movie theaters. Oof, because ouch, that hurts. For, that's true though. 
But it's like, it's for so many people, it's the same kind of experience. They're like, well, you know, whatever. I, I'll wear a mask to my job because I get paid or whatever, but I'm not going to wear Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do a date night to a movie theater and wear a mask because it's just, it's not worth it. Right. Well, that's church for so many people. Right. Mm. So it's like that when, <laughs> you know, when, uh, when people start buying AMC stock for real, you'll know that, uh, <laughs> you'll know that, <laughs> is, that a, um, is that a little trader tip for you, by the way? Yeah, definitely a hold a lot on watch, AMC. No, I, I definitely I watch the I AMC stock, stock, and then your your attendance yeah. will rise. That's the- my dad just told me he's like pretty pretty in deep on Dogecoin, which I <laughs> that's true. That's a true story. I can send you the screenshot. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh man, that's a whole other podcast. But I, so no, I th- I think that's that's true. So in that um. Tell me about what you guys, and I don't know where this is even in our structure, so I'm going out of order a little bit, but for that, you guys have a unique structure, particularly one of the reasons I want to talk to you was just, I think you guys are, are unique in the way you're structuring your staff in particular and staff, yeah. and as you guys are thinking about moving forward. Um, tell me what that looks like for you guys and kind of what you're thinking, um, you know, and, and part of that, I guess, probably will bleed into the idea of like, what does church look like in the next seven to 10 years as well? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit more about that. Like how you, how you guys see church in the next seven to 10 years in the future. Um, and then how you're staffing it within that as well. Yeah. We, since we started, we've always been, um, we've always been kind of non-traditional and how we, how we've approached it. We, um, we planted as co-pastors. Now our situation is a little bit unique because my co-pastor and I have been friends since we were 12 we can be very honest with each other. We can be very direct with each other. And our, our skill sets are so different and so pronounced and yeah. so clear that it just, we fit together well. I don't even like want to preach, right? So it just, it just works well. Um, so that's not necessarily true for everybody. But even as we were planting, we, we would talk to different churches and say, hey, here's our model. Here's what we're looking at. We want your feedback on it. And literally everybody told us that's a bad idea. Like, you know, the, the biggest churches in our state the, the fastest growing churches in our state. Everyone's telling us this is a bad idea. And we just kept getting in the car and being like, no, it's a good idea. We're doing it. Like it's, it's, it is a good idea. <laughs> Forget what those guys said. And We're just going to do this. I, like, it, it felt stupid. Like it's like, we, we should listen to them maybe, but also no, they're just not correct. This is a good idea. This is a better model to share the leadership and not have one senior pastor who's expected to be like CEO and shepherd, all these things at the same time. I think that model is insane. And I've always thought that. Well, not always. Since I started thinking about such things when I was 24 or whatever. As a, as a five-year-old, I didn't have many thoughts on it. But um, It's good to know. But so, yeah. But as we've expanded out from that, one of the things we've, we've figured out, and so I, I sort of built all of our systems and kind of hacked all that together for next to nothing when we had no money. Um, and then as we, as we started to grow, we started adding to our team and the big sort of like, if you want to talk about like a staffing market of inefficiency where there's a lot of value to be had, for me, it was, it was moms who didn't want to work full time. Like we've got some of the smartest, um, some of the smartest people on our staff, just really sharp. And the one thing for them is like, no, I'll, I can do this, but I do not want to work full time, you know? And so it started there where our, our staff grew to, I think it's, uh, it's 11 now. And we still only have um, the two, our, our two pastors are full-time. Um, and so we've got people like, we've got a bookkeeper who's great and she works literally five hours a week. But the, what we do do is we actually pay her pretty well for those five hours. Okay. But we don't, you know, there's so much less idle time. There's, you know, um, so it, it works out pretty well. She feels like it's a good deal for her and it's certainly a good deal for us. Um, but taking that, like flipping that kind of concept on its head what we're looking at going forward um, and, and looking at sort of wading into over the next couple of years is the idea of even, even at the pastor level of moving away from having any full-time staff at the church. Um, we really love, we really love the idea of a, of more of a shared, like building out even more so spreading out that shared leadership model. Um, we love the idea of, of pastors who feel like they've got one, one really like core strength. Like I've got one thing that I really do better than anybody else here. Um, for my co-pastor that's teaching the Bible, he's a great teacher. For me, it's, it's sort of like just, it's leadership, right? It's, it's meetings, it's, um, it's making decisions, it's uh, vision, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, but like, 
and we can both, we both obviously do discipleship stuff too. And that's the heart of what church is. And we, we care about that stuff. Um, but we love the idea of each of us actually just doing that thing and then adding as many, we could have, I don't know, uh, in a small church, you could have five or six pastors as long as they're willing to do another job, um, be able to not have to like pick up hours doing stuff that really isn't with like inside their calling as much and inside their skill set as much. Um, and we think, we think out of that, the, that church like vocational church ministry will be more life-giving. We think that it'll be more sustainable for a longer period of time. Um, and we think that it'll be, it'll be more connected to mission as everyone will sort of have another job that presumably will get them outside of the church walls and connecting with people in the community more often. And so there are obviously logistical, logistical challenges with, it, with challenges with it too. It's difficult to find people who want to like be a 15 hour a week care pastor and then find another job or whatever. Right. Um, but we're pretty committed to at least giving it a solid attempt over the next few years. Um, and both of us are, are exploring very aggressively, like what that would look like for us personally to, to, to work in other fields. We both have um, the ability to do that. Um, and so that's something that we feel like we could leverage to uh, to start to try this try this thing out. Everything we've done since we started the church was like we were trying things out that seemed like they fit us. So I'm not saying this is for everybody. This is the future of the church. It is very millennial, and we are millennial. And in that sense, that I do think there are others who will do it uh, or something similar to it. But when we planted the church, that was we were both in that spot. We were doing other stuff. Neither of us had a like a guaranteed full full time income from day one that wasn't an expectation. And so um, we, we have both been full-time now for a while, but it's not that difficult for us to go back in our minds. And, and again, there's parts of it that appeal to us because it's like, what we want to be able to specialize a little bit more. Um, But then the other part of that is we would love to have six, maybe, you know, five or six pastors who all are just like great, super well-equipped group leaders too, to do small group discipleship, um, which is so, so, so important to good, um, to good uh, discipleship ministries to have, to be able to pare down and do that. And, um, and again, the growth model is to equip volunteers to do it. Um, and we've had some success doing that, but, but we, I would love the, I, I don't want, I don't ever want to stop leading a small group. It's my favorite part of church. So, right. um, so, so in why that, would then, I stop? Go ahead. Have you guys thought about like, um, like, like, like to me that, that just like thinking about that, obviously that, that whole gig economy and like, you know, guys doing side sure. jobs and gigs and stuff like that does fit very millennial and um, in right. that and does fit you guys as well. But also like, how are you guys looking at leadership then in terms of, I mean, it seems to, to raise the bar on having to raise up leaders from within your congregation um, to, yeah. you know, as you're looking at like, Hey, who's, you know, but also it's not, Hey, quit your job and come work for us. It's, Hey, can you pair back at, you know, as an insurance agent or as a real estate agent? I don't know why I'm just calling <laughs> sure. the agents, but you know, at whatever job you've got and can you give some time and in to ministry in that regard? And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think there's totally some, there's also just, I think one of the knock on pastors and I think there's even church and uh, that, that was listening to that, that they said, Hey, we make our pastors go out, you know, one day every two weeks and work in a job so that they're around lost people and they know what it's like to actually do right a nine to five job for a day and then have to come home and do ministry and all those things on top of that. Um, mm-hmm. you're solving a lot of issues with that strategy. Obviously there's, you know, I'm sure there's tons of pastors listening to this cringing. Well, I don't know if there's tons of pastors listening to this, but there's definitely right. at least, uh, hopefully at least, you know, my mom's definitely listening to this saying like, Hey, what about the pastors that are full time? Um, right. But yeah. So, I mean, I think there's obviously some issues in that, but I think that's to me, like, even as I've talked, you know, talked with you, we, we have all these conversations offline. Um, mm-hmm. it was just like a really fascinating concept and an idea that I can totally see others adopting. Um, but again, I think one of the things that I love about this is it's like, Hey, we don't care what everybody else is doing. It's like, we feel right. like this is what God's calling us to do for our context and who we are and how it fits our community. Um, right. I think, I think too, it, it's not, it's, we're in an interesting spot. I've got a, I've got a very sort of entrepreneurial sort of itch to myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, I don't think of it so much in terms of like, Hey, we need a, we, we've got, we, you know, we're, we're posting a job. It's for a 20 hour a week, small groups, pastor, and then, um, and then figure it out. Right. What else are you going to do? I don't know. Substitute teach, you know, for me, it's more like, no, uh, 
we believe in this model and I'm willing to invest in this model and you seem like a great fit for the model. Come al- I'm going to come alongside you and let's start a business. Let's, let's, um, let's find a good fit for you. I, I've got, I know this community well. I've lived here my entire life. I, I really believe I can help you find a good fit to supplement your income so that you can do ministry uh, in this model. It's, so it wouldn't be like, you know, in, in ministry, a lot of times people are trying to get too full-time, you know, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, they brought me in as a youth pastor, 20 hours. I'd love to be full-time, right? I was there and I like, I like, I got to full-time and now I'm like, I want to go back, right? <laughs> and, but I, but I wouldn't expect others to do that without being willing to come alongside them and say, I'll help you figure this out. And right. we have a, we have a, we have like this, as, as churches do, we have this micro economy of people who are, are willing to invest in that as well. Right. Just in the same way. I, I, we had a guy come in to church recently and he's like, he's kind of a down on his luck guy, but he's a Mason. And I said, dude, I'm just telling you right now, if you like, if you really will work hard and prove yourself trustworthy, stick around for a little bit, like you'll be up to your ears in work. Like I promise you, you will, you know? Um, and it, so there, there's, there's always opportunities like that. And I, I love working with people and seeing their strengths and saying, trying to find a hole and, and, and say like, you could do this. Mm-hmm. And I think you would not only like it, but it would, it would give you a, a, a context for mission. It would get you outside of the church walls. People from our church would come alongside you and support you. If it's a, if it's a business where you need, you know, you can make sales and, or whatever it is. Like it's, um, I would not expect someone just to work part-time just because. Um, and the other part of it is if, if we were to do this, the pitch I would give to somebody is like, if, if I were going to try to hire you, I would say like, look, you might only work three days a week, but, but we actually pay pretty well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still, it's still right. church scale, right? It's not cr- crazy, <laughs> but we want to pay people pretty well for their time because we're going to pay them for what they do best. Right. And, and I'm not paying you to like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not paying you to backfill some like admin. I'm not paying you to also do care visits that you hate or whatever. No, I'm paying you for what you do best and, and we'll pay you accordingly. But there's a, again, I mean, gosh, health insurance, there's a ton right. of big challenges and drawbacks too. Sure. Um, but, but I've navigated those things personally because I've been part-time throughout this process and it's, and it's like, it's not that intimidating to me and I can help you. Is that sort of like, if if the person came along that I wanted to put in that spot, I'd say, look, I'll help you. If you if you will jump in with us, you're one of us. We'll take care of you. It just won't all come from it won't it won't all come from the church books. We'll do it a different way, but I will come alongside you for this ride. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and by the way, it totally fits you. Like I think that's like that's, that's, that's part definitely of it like you just have that entrepreneurial heart and spirit. And um, so, as you look at the future, church, like yeah like who does the future, like the, the church in the future. And when I say future, I'm seven, 10 years. Um, who's it reach, you know, and, and how is that different than who the church is reaching now? So we're going to continue. We're going to continue, I think, to become less culturally Christian. Mm. Right. And yeah. so, so church will be less and less of a foregone conclusion for people in a small town like mine. That's still, that's still, we're still pretty culturally Christian. Right. So most of our visitors are, they were Catholic or Lutheran or something, you know, and, and somewhere along the way they stopped going and then now they're going to, now they got kids. And so they're going to try out a church and they try LifeBridge, right? Um, that's going to continue to go the other way, I think. Um, and we are in the, but like, I think a lot of churches will probably fight that more than we will. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think what for me, um, I don't want to speak for all millennials or anything like that, but I think young people uh, generally just, we just crave authenticity um, in out of our church experience. We want authentic, real stuff, real relationships. Um, and that can sometimes be difficult to come by. And, uh, but I think that's going to happen in increasingly smaller settings not just because of, not just because of what people want, like people, people who are in church are going to want smaller experiences more and more. I think part of that's because um, I think one of the, one of the things with, with big churches is like the experience of, of going to like the big church and having that experience is not going to impress the next generation um, because the, you know, whatever they like, 
they can make $2 million on TikTok tomorrow if they just like have the right idea. <laughs> right. So, um, so that there's that standpoint, but then also for people who are already inside the church, um, they, they want to go smaller. Um, so when you say smaller, are you, are, you, are you thinking like small groups? Are you thinking some other kind of in-between type setting? Like what, like, yeah, I think, I think small groups is a big part of it, but I also think, I don't think that people want to, um, and I'm, I'm saying this graciously. I don't mean, I don't want to disrespect anybody, but I don't think people, I think people want to know their pastor. Mm. I don't think people want a green room pastor, you know? Right. Um, that's, I think that is a model that is, it's not going to go away quickly because it's, it's huge. Right. Um, there will, ah, I don't even know. I think there will be, there will be a place for that always. There will always be. Right. You'll have um, mega churches. You'll have large churches. You'll have mega a bad churches. thing you'll, necessarily, but that's. No, yeah. not, no. Yeah. But yeah. you will. But I think, I think increasingly people who have been in the church for a while, like myself, people who grew up in it are going to find themselves moving away from those spaces. And I think that, that they're not going to, there isn't going to be as much unchurched growth anymore either. Um, because, because cultural Christianity is going to go by the wayside. So I think, um, so I think, I think bigger churches are going to get fewer visitors, um, both of people who weren't going to church and of people who are going to smaller churches and want to try out the bigger church. I think it's going to be a move in the opposite direction. Um, and I think also people who aren't going to church are going to stop visiting as much. So those are, um, I don't mean to be like bleak about it. I was say, thanks, that's Eeyore. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, but that does appear to be the current direct uh, trajectory of sure. it in my mind. But I think what comes out of that, I'm, I'm hopeful that will come out of that is, um, is, is, uh, a new, like carving out a new identity of Jesus followers who, um, who are not, who are not culturally Christian. They are Christian in their commitment to follow Christ. And it will certainly be a smaller group and it will not be as, you know, sexy of a group, um, so to speak, but, um, but it'll, it's the group I want to be a part of. And it's the group that I want my kids to be a part of. Right. And, um, and then I think that group over time will make disciples who make disciples. Um, and so I do, I do have a lot of hope in that. I have a lot of hope in the future of the church, but, um, but what, I think what we're going to see big picture if, if we zoom out is it's going to look like the church continuing to be on the decline. Um, and I, I think that's going to continue, but I don't actually see that as negatively as some people do. Cause I think some of that is um, some of that is good in the sense of getting back to so, through so, authentic followership of Jesus. Right. So, and that what you're saying is, is that, Hey, I think we're going to clear out a lot of the clutter or the cultural Christians that would maybe just show up once a month. They're right. just not going to be as inclined to do that anymore. And so it's right. like so we're getting smaller when it, right. and in reality, there's just a little bit, a level of authenticity that's going to show up in a different way that might make us right. more effective as a church. Is that, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I always think of like, I think of church, the kind of the church growth movement um, and that style of that, that strategy of doing church. I think of it kind of as like having people over to your house and um, it starts, as like a couple of your friends, right? And then over time, like the party kind of gets out of control. And now it's like, I don't even know who these people are. Right. Right. You know, like who invited that guy? I don't even know who those people are. Right. And then, but in the church world, like at some point there's just too hmm. many people. And instead of kicking people out, we just build a bigger house, hmm. you know? So I haven't heard that one. That's good. Yeah. yeah. So that, so in, in some, that's one of the things we came to before COVID is we were looking at the number of people in our church and saying, okay, how many of these people are actually, plugged in, how many people are serving, how many people are in groups, how many, you know, right. As a, as a way of not trying to judge people, not trying to like draw lines, but just as a way of saying like, are we really ready to build a bigger building? <laughs> you know, right. In terms of, in terms of the people who are really plugged in here or just in terms of the amount of people who happen to be in this space on Sunday mornings. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. A couple more questions. Um, tell me, so this is a fun question. Uh, fun for me anyway. Uh, tell me one way that you failed in the last year and what did you learn from it? Uh, so my biggest failure, I think in the last year, probably, um, I think I learned a lot about, about how I care too much about being seen and recognized for my strengths. Hmm. And so my failure in the last year 
my primary failure in the last year is um, leading through some really difficult things and having people second guess my decisions and um, or have conversations with me uh, about them or whatever. And there was a part of me that just, I just really was, I, I hadn't been through something like that before. And I was realizing how much I was reliant on the affirmation of these people to tell me I'm doing a great job and that they trust me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I was angry, man. It was like, I remember having conversations with people where I just wanted to be like, man, this person listened to like one lead, leadership podcast and then they scheduled a meeting with me to tell me everything <laughs> I'm doing wrong. And I want to just like blast them and tell them how stupid they are, but, but I can't do that because I'm a pastor, right? You know, it's so like my heart was in a terrible place with it. And I was really wrestling with um, pride, man. I was wrestling with um, thinking, I think I'm a high caliber leader. Is really mm-hmm. what it comes down to. I think I'm a good, good leader. And I don't think the people in my church recognize that. I don't think other small churches and small towns have a guy like me. And, um, and I, it would just be nice if these people like really realize what they had. Right. Um, and so out of that, I was, I was in that space and I don't think I made any disastrous decisions, but I was leading out of that heart, mm. you know? Um, and so I think, I think there was, there were some misses along the way with that, but ultimately the big miss there obviously is like, I mean, this is just an identity restructure that needs to happen. Um, and that's, I mean, the biggest positive that both myself and my co-pastor would say is our, the big positive that's come out of the last year is our identities, what we like our intrinsic value, why we matter as people has never been less connected to Mm. what's happening at our church, the success of our church. Um, and so that was, I mean, those were hard lessons to learn and I learned them in a hard way, but yeah, seeing that and, and honestly seeing, um, seeing how in some ways how ill-equipped we were to plant a church yeah, and just being like, man, we, we weren't ready for this, you know? And I don't know that you ever are. Right. Right. And if everyone waited until they were ready, no one would ever plant churches and we need churches. But um, gosh, I mean, it was hard to just like see failure of leadership um, after failure of leadership and failure of discipleship. I think in church, we tend to think if people are like, are doing the actions that we want them to be doing, which is like show up, serve, give those right. things. Yep, right. Yep. That's the side. Right. Right. We tend to think we fill in the gap of what we don't know and say, okay, they're doing those things because they get it. They're doing those things mm. because, um, but just like me, they have a mixture of good motives and bad motives. And so, so uh, and then six months later, we're in the middle of COVID and I'm sitting in those people's living rooms and they're telling us they don't trust us anymore because we require masks at our services because the government says we have to. And you're just like, dude, like maybe, maybe I'm a terrible pastor, right? Like maybe I've done nothing good, right. you know? Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, we, we were just like, we, we just had to stare in the face of, of our inadequacy to, um, to really lead and disciple people, which was hard, but I think ultimately really healthy. Um, because that's, Mm. that's what it is. We are inadequate, you know? And, um, not that we should just settle for that and not, not try to improve, but like, we will never be able to do the work of the Holy spirit. I can't, I can't charm people with jokes or convince them with good arguments. Um, or even with like pretty clear, raw data about a disease right? (laughs) that, uh, that they need to do things a certain way. Um, I just don't have the influence that I thought I did. And that was, that was, uh, and if I don't have the influence I thought I did, I'm not the leader I thought I was. Right. So that was, that was difficult. Um, but yeah, that, that pride and, and I being slow to recognize it for what it was and fighting it and trying to lead through it was probably the the key mistake there. Man. That's I, like, even as you said that of like, Hey, I, you know, I'm a pretty good leader for this church. I'm like, man, how many times right. have I thought that? Oh yeah. You know, I was just like, dude, they're lucky to have a guy like me. I'm, I'm really smart. I'm yeah. like, I know, I know stuff. Um, right. And, no, well, and, and you do, and I do. And as pastors, we have to like, we do have these conversations with people all the time where it's like, you just don't know what you don't know. Right. And I have to try to show you that really gently and nicely. And sometimes I don't want to. Right. Um, so it's it's not like that's not there, but um, 
the pride that goes with yeah. that and um, is uh, something that, you, you know, it can be really toxic for leaders. You and I both know there's tons of very high capacity leaders who are still terrible leaders because it's not for lack of capacity, but for lack of self-awareness or character or whatever. Yeah. So. That's hard. To, it's hard when you see it in yourself though. I think at times too. Oh yeah. Recognizing like, Oh wait, that's me. Crap. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Thanks for sharing that, man. Um, so who or what are you learning from? Um, and again, feel free to take whatever liberties you want to on this. This can be serious or. That's a great question. Or, who or what am I learning from? Um, I'm learning, I'm learning a lot right now from my, still from my own mistakes in the last year. I still think I'm processing and learning from those. Um, I am learning. I mean, if you just want to get into like the, the, my favorite, my single favorite um, thinker right now is David French. So if you don't listen to, listen to or read David French, I love just about everything he says um, or writes. He's on the dispatch, um, by the way, if you're, if you're at home. You dispatch, know. right. Um, yeah, that's David French. Um, how else am I learning right now? I'm learning a lot from getting outside of, uh, outside of church spaces and doing some of my, like you, you call them side hustles or whatever. I have a few of those going on. I'm learning a lot from those things just about um, what I'm good at. One of the things I, I just realized the other day, again, going back to like where my influence lies, I've been, um, people in my church ask me for advice on something related to their business or their, you know, should I buy this house? Like, hmm. who's your investment guy? Like that sort of stuff. You know, anything like that, 10 times more often than they ask me advice for anything related to their marriage or their faith walk, um, that sort of stuff. And so I've been learning both in terms of where, what does that say about me? But then also, what does that say about the culture of our church? You know? And so I've just been like, I've been sort of keeping score in my head, just keeping tally. And it's, I mean, it's, it's every day someone wants to run their, you know, their business plan or whatever past me. And it's, it's a lot more occasional that, uh, that they say, Hey man, I'm really struggling with my marriage, you know, mm-hmm. well, we've got a small group and, and there's a lot more really good vulnerability happening in that space and, and some others, but, but that's kind of the broad brush on that one. That's a few things. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Yeah. Anything you're watching um, that, that you would recommend? Learning, reading, watching. Um, I'm, I'm reading a book right now on, uh, I've I've been I've done a lot of work in the nonprofit world too, and I'm reading a book right now about microfinance in like third world uh, communities and and how much impact like how much more impact a dollar can make in some of those spaces than it does in in our um, hmm. like our nonprofit world. So that's another area that I'm like I'm really curious about and sparked um, my interest is sparked to explore right now. Um, these are all kind of random things you can tell. I just am sort of like. I, I just generally think I can multitask more than I, I can multitask a decent amount, <laughs> but not as much as I think. And right. then I just get myself into trouble. Um, but yeah. And then the only other thing I would say is I'm, I'm learning the conversations around justice and church conversations around justice. I, I feel like um, I've learned a lot there in the last year, um, you know, just reading mm-hmm. things and um listening to different people's accounts of things and whenever they, you know, in podcasts or whatever. Um, I've, uh, the book reading while black is, uh, is one that I'd recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't read that one, that one's very good. Um, I really liked uh, insider outsider as well. That's uh, Brian Loritz. Uh, so yeah, so that's been, that's been an interesting thing that we're, navigating as well as a church and how to talk about those things. Our town is, you know, 95% white or whatever. Right. Um, but th- we still feel like we're supposed to have some role in conversations around racial reconciliation and, and, and what's going on in our community uh, in that regard. So 
Um, so that's been another one that's been a, an area of focus of, of mine for, for a while now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. Well, John, Hey man, thanks. Um, thanks for joining us today. Um, where can, uh, where can people find you online or, or any, 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 you want to plug any Twitter feeds or social media? Uh, no, I, I really don't. I mean, if, <laughs> if I get, if I get a chance to plug, um, I would say that I, I own a small coffee company called Burlington coffee and you should, you should try our coffee, Burlington net coffee. That's it. Burlington.coffee. Yeah. That's our, that's our website. Burlington.coffee. Yeah. So that's, that's one of your side yeah. hustles. I'm guessing. That's one of my side hustles and the coffee's pretty good. Yeah. It's fun. Cool. Well, check out Burlington.coffee. Um, John, thanks for uh, hanging out with us today. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being vulnerable. Um, and uh, thanks for what you do for the church. Um,